Well, good morning. It is good to see you all here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the ninth Psalm, Psalm 9, uh, is where we will be this morning as we continue in our uh, summer of Psalms, Psalms of Summer uh, series. Uh, before I got up here, I had to make sure that I had the right notes. Let me tell you what happened to me this week. And so one of the things that I end up doing is I have my sermon notes, and then after church on Sunday, I fold them up, put them in my Bible. And then usually Monday morning, I pull them back out and throw them on my desk, fold it up like this, all right? So fold it up like that, and then usually I'll put them into a folder. So I've got like folders of all. Anyway, so I did that, and then on Tuesday, I had to... Uh, preach a funeral for a uh, buddy uh, that I went to high school with. His mother passed away, and they called me to come in and do the funeral. And so Tuesday, I typed out all my sermon notes for the funeral, sat down at my desk, got time to leave. I grabbed a folded-up thing of notes, threw it in my Bible, went to the funeral to preach. When I stood up to preach, I opened up my Bible and opened up the notes, and it was the notes from the past Sunday, uh, not for the funeral. Uh, and so anyway, you're talking about nightmare for a moment. But anyway, uh, I made it. And so what I did is I nonchalantly pulled out my phone, went to pages on my phone that had to use notes that were on the screen this big. Anyway, we made it. Uh, I don't think they ever knew anything different. But anyway, so I do have my Psalm 9 notes this morning. Uh, so that's good. Uh, a couple of announcements. I was picking on Carrie. She handed me a, a list of announcements for VBS that has more points than my notes do. Uh, and so... Uh, maybe I'll get them all right. But th tonight, this evening, starts our VBS. Uh, we start uh, at, what time do we start, Carrie? 5.30. Okay, so here's a couple announcements for, for VBS. Uh, if you ordered a shirt, you can pick up your shirts in the foyer. Uh, they're there available. Uh, there still needs some decoration that needs to be done. So if you are able uh, and willing, and even if you're not willing and you can be here, uh, be here at 3 o'clock to start or finish up uh, the decorations uh, we're going to have a prayer time starting at 5 for all the workers. Uh, a big need that we need is maybe you can't, you don't want to lead or teach or do crafts or anything like that. One of the big needs that we do have is a cleanup crew each night. Uh, a couple of people who will sign up to come and take out the trash and vacuum up. That way the next day it's not a mess. Anyway, so if you're interested in doing that, see you. See or Nicole, security or Nicole, if you can do that. Or even if you haven't signed up to help and you want to just be here and help, it's not too late, more the merrier. Uh, and so anyway, I think I got all those announcements. A couple other announcements, and, and there's really two of them. There's, uh, we have a baby bottle campaign going on that goes through Father's Day. And so if you have those bottles, uh, if you haven't filled them up yet, fill them up and bring them back and, and get them to the Choices Clinic. The next one is, this is a long ways out, but on July the 23rd, uh, is our next family meeting. Uh, that's our, our business meeting as a church, if you will. So uh, we're over a month, but I want to put you, go ahead and get your phone out, put it on the calendar. That way you don't double book on the 23rd there, uh, and so that we can all be here for that. And so I'm excited about that. I think that's everything. Carrie, did I do okay with your sticky note? All right. Uh, Psalm 9 is where we are this morning. Like I said, we, we, we did a series last year through the summer called Psalms of Summer, uh, and we just wanted to kind of continue through uh, this summer, just going through the book of Psalms. And, man, I, I love them. I love walking through Psalms personally uh, and also leading us as a church corporately as we walk through Psalms because um, actually I heard a terminology this week that I haven't quite heard yet. Uh, but when we walk through Psalms and we walk through David, 
walk through David's as he's penning and writing and singing these songs, what we see is a, a realistic godliness or a godly realism, if you will. And what I mean by that is oftentimes we have this picture of Christianity that it's like this, we have our head in the sand, like we don't, we're not affected by things that happen in life. Uh, and if you're not, like from a lot of us, definitely if we grew up in South Mississippi, we have this certain view of what godly is. Godly is somebody who every Sunday they're coming in, they're going to raise their hands. Godly is somebody who no matter what happens to them, they keep the faith. If you have. Godly is, we have this really unachievable uh, notion or picture or idea of what Christianity should be. And the reality is, is that if we can attain that, then we oftentimes uh, develop pride, right? If we have this ideal of what it means as in I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to do this, that, and the other, oftentimes it lands us in pride. But if like most of us, we fail to achieve that ideal, so we walk around in guilt and shame. Like we're, no, we, don't, we don't add up, we don't measure up, if you will. And so when we walk through the book of Psalms, what we see is a realistic godliness. We see a man who deals with frustration. We see a man who deals with his own failure. We see men and who, who, who walk through confusion, who walk through times that it feels like God had abandoned him, but through that, continue to press in to have faith in the Lord. Has to continue to raise his hands at the end of the day, even though his pain may hurt, he still continues to raise his hands, saying, I may not have it figured out, but I'm serving the God of the universe. Right? And so what I love about the book of Psalms is it, it, it dispels any imagery that we have. To be Christian means you don't feel. Uh, to be Christian means you don't fail. To be Christian means you don't struggle with things. It, it wipes that mindset away. And what it does for many of us, the book of Psalms gives us words that we don't even know how to articulate. Like many of us, we have this feeling sometimes or these emotions sometimes that we don't quite have the words. And I'm thankful that God, through his goodness, has given us his word to get, really give us words to our, our, our own heart's cry. And so when we look through the book of Psalms, what we see is this realistic godliness, not this godliness that we have this picture of, like I said, we just put our hands in the, heads in the sand as if nothing's going on or we try to just white-knuckle it as nothing affects us. What we see is a human who, even in his frailty, frailty, is that a word? Frail, anyway, you know what I'm saying. Even in his weakness, continues to seek the Lord and trust in God's goodness, sovereignty, even to the in. Just kind of an overview, if you walk, if you were to read through the Psalms, and I know i got to get to the text, and I will kind of make you feel better. I'm not covering all 20 verses. We're kind of jump through, but if you were to kind of do an overview of the Psalms, there are some things that the Psalms teach us that, that are always kind of in the mindset of the psalmist who's, who's writing, is that we learn things about God through the book of Psalms. We learn things about man, and we learn things about the world. Uh, as, you, as you walk through, a lot of the Psalms kind of deal with most of these things. And what we learn about God is that, that God is plural, that he exists as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that he is plural. We see that he's powerful. When you read the book of Psalms, you see that we serve a powerful God. You see that he is perfect. And we read that he is praiseworthy. We learn these things about God. And that's what, when the psalmist is writing, those are kind of in the forefront of his mind. But we also learn something about man. We learn that man is 
is created with dignity, that he's created uh, in a way because of who his creator is, there's dignity. What we also understand by reading the book of Psalms is that man's life is marked by tragedy. Because the broken world, the spoiled world of sin in which we live in, our life is oftentimes made up of tragedy. What we also see is that there's opportunity for the believer as we walk through the book of Psalms that even though my life may be marked by tragedy or this, that, and the other, that God always gives us an opportunity. But we also something learn something about the world as we walk through the book of Psalms and that our world has fallen, that, that ultimately that man has turned away from God and that he, he doesn't seek God, he doesn't care to know God, that we live in a fallen world, hence we are oftentimes marked by tragedy. But it's something else that Psalms teaches us in the totality is that, that this world will be triumphed by God and righteousness. As we walk through the Psalms, we see that, that this is who God is, that he's perfect and he's powerful and he's praiseworthy. And us as humans, we are created in God's image that where there's dignity, but our life is full of ups and downs. And this world is a world that has turned its way from God. But in the end, Justice and righteousness will prevail. But this is what else we see. Until that time, the world and evil has some short-lived triumph. That in this world in which we live, until God makes every wrong right, until he sets up his earthly kingdom, if you will, that, that there will be short times where it does look like evil is winning. That it does look like we're... What's going on in our culture, right? Like, like there will be a sense in which when we look at the landscape of the world, we see in the book of Psalms that oftentimes it looked like those who hated God are the ones that were prospering. And that's why Psalms is so applicable to me and you. This isn't some old dead book. This isn't something that, that we just put on our, 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 our bookshelf and just say, hey, I've got one. Like this is, this is the most a live book and the most applicable book to any of our lives. And I'm thankful for God and his goodness and his grace that he gave this to us. That this book isn't just a list of rules and what you do and what you don't do. This book is a gift of God that we can look into the world in which we live in and not grow faint. That we can look into the world in which we live in and not lose hope or lose perspective. And so I'm thankful for the word. So with the reality that we live in a fallen world, that oftentimes it seems as if the, the evil is winning or the, the, the evil is prospering, how do you and I keep our equilibrium, if you will? Right? Like, let's, like, let's just real talk for a moment. How do we, in a fallen world in which we live in, as followers of Jesus, I told you this, this series is going to be super applicable for us all, that we're going to, each week we're going to look at stuff and go, I can, I can apply that to my life. I can do that. So how do we, with that reality, and also with the knowledge that one day God will prevail against all forms of evil and wickedness, that there will day that will end until that day comes. How do you and I keep living a life as this realistic in this realistic godliness, if you will? How do we keep living each day when each day happens and it brings its own sorrow? How do we keep going? How do we keep, stay balanced, if you will? to live, like I said, this real-life Christianity. And so let's look to Psalm 9, and I'll pull out three things that I think that will help us on a day-in and day-out to continue to walk even in that reality. But let's read Psalm 9. 
If you don't mind, I will read all 20, but I won't preach all 20. So here we go. Psalm 9 says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all, the, all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have set on the throne, uh, giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You have made the wicked perish. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. The enemy, come, the enemy came to an end in everlasting ruins. The cities you rooted out. The very memory of them has perished, but the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. He judges the world with righteousness, and he judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, will have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them, and he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those, for those who hate me. Or you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the, of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk in the pit that they made, in the net they let, they, uh, that they hid. They, their own foot has been caught. That's a, and it, y'all catch that verse? I know I stumbled on it. But the nations have sunk in the pit that they have made. That's an incredible picture of how God has overcome. They made in the net they hid. Their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. For all the needy shall always be forgotten, uh, and the hope of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in the fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. This is God's word. May he add favor to the reading and preaching. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, come to us now and be with us. Open our eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Psalm chapter 9. Here are three things that we understand. Uh, notice, I want you to notice this. This is us dealing with keeping our equilibrium, if you will. Uh, I, I titled this sermon, Praise, Power, and Protection. It's really kind of a, a scene that kind of goes through them all that I will get to. But I want you to notice where David starts and where he ends the psalm. Notice in verse 1, he says, I will give thanks to what? The Lord. And at the end, in verse 20, it says, put them in fear, O Lord. And so this is a principle that you and I can pick up on in Psalm 9, that when David is dealing with his enemies, he's dealing with his, his circumstances or his struggles, listen to me, he is preoccupied with God over self and his circumstances. That in this prayer, he is beginning and ending with the one who's sovereign over the whole thing. That it isn't something, he's not, he's not preoccupied just with himself and his struggles or his circumstances and how he doesn't like them. He's preoccupied with the God who rules and reigns over them all. So he starts and he ends with God. But here's the crazy thing is that we live in a culture that has taught us to be preoccupied with ourselves and our circumstances. That 
to, in order to fix our issues, what we need to do is understand ourselves better. If we understand ourselves better, then we will understand, we'll be able to understand what's going on around us. And we'll be able to decipher, I am this way because this happened to me, in which I'm not throwing shade or not making, I'm not making like that this, these things aren't important. But the, like the, the main thing that we're taught now is you have to understand yourself. To be preoccupied with self and with ourselves and our circumstances, it's a quest to understand ourselves. And if we understand ourselves, that we can understand our circumstances. We are obsessed with and we're told that what we need to do is dismantle ourselves to try to figure out what our issues are. It's like taking the part of an engine or taking part of the engine or a computer and you don't have the owner's manual. And when you take everything apart, you don't know how to put it back together. The issue with us dismantling ourselves and us ourselves being the main focus is you and I don't know how to put ourselves back together. That we may get to the root of something, this is where the hurt is, but I can't build myself back up. And literally, if you gave me a computer or something and I tried to put it together, if I put it back together, there would be nuts and bolts and whatever else all over the place because I didn't know how to put the thing together. When we do that on our own, we are left with bits and pieces and not knowing how they go together. And here's the principle here. This isn't even in the points, but... It's the knowledge of the Lord is how we gain perspective of ourselves and our circumstances. Whenever we're trying to decipher life, where we need to start is knowing God more. Knowledge of God is what gives us perspective of who I am. And my circumstances that are going on around me, Calvin said it like this, no man can survey himself without forth with turning his thought towards the God in whom he lives and moves. Because it is perfectly obvious that the endowments which we possess cannot possibly be from ourselves. Nay, they are ver- that our very being is nothing else than the substance in God alone. That in, for you and I to understand us and our circumstances, that, and we need to seek to know the God who created us and sustains us and runs all things. And I'm not saying that we don't do the work of figuring out, you know, self-reflection and, and things like that, but, man, we can't fix ourselves. Only the one who formed us in our mother's womb can. The one who created us can. And so I would encourage you in principle, when life throws you Lemons, if you don't make lemonade, get to know the one who created you better. Get to understand his heart. That's what David, what we see David here is that he, he says, God, I will, I will give thanks to you with my whole heart. And it begins and ends with God. So three truths this morning that, and when it comes to knowing God, that we can go and, and think through these things. And I'll tie it up at the end, but just follow with me. Is that really a scene that we find through Psalm 9, number one is that there's a praise that he deserves. So, Justin, how does this connect with me dealing and keeping my balance in life? Because you and I need to remember there is praise that he alone deserves. What do do we see in verse 1? It says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of my wonder, I will count all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and I will exalt in you. I will sing praise to your name, O most 
high. Well, we see in these two verses, there's a nature of praise. There's a, there's a praise that God alone deserves. Listen to me. A lot of our issue is because we have a worship problem, that we're praising the wrong things. A lot of our insecurities and our struggles in life and our, and our, and our, our not feeling our, self, our self-worth or identity is because we worship at the wrong altars. And oftentimes what we need to remember in our life is that there is praise that he alone deserves, that he alone is due, that each morning when I wake up, no matter what life happens, I start my day with he deserves the praise of my life today, that he is worthy of it and he and he alone is worthy of it. Listen to me, when it comes to, the, comes to praise, it's not a necessarily an issue of our emotion. It's not that some of us can't be emotional enough or we don't, you know, we don't, like to raise our hands or we don't like to be expressive or we don't want to whatever. It's not an issue of the emotion. Listen to me. Our praise oftentimes is an issue of our will. It's our will. See, praise is a decision. What did he say? I will give thanks to the Lord. Over and over again in the book of Psalms, you see David, I will praise, I will praise, and I will praise. If we, get, if we just start looking at surface level, we think that David doesn't have any issues. David had a son who wanted to kill him. David had people who would turn, he didn't wake up each day going, man, it's a great day to serve the Lord, but what he decided, I'm going to wake up and today I'm going to praise you. It's the decision that he made. It's not something that was just an emotion, it was a decision that he made. He didn't always wake up in favorable conditions. But listen to me, he had to tune himself to praise. We don't all wake up walking in the rhythms of grace. Oftentimes we've got to tune ourselves to that grace. And each morning we wake up saying, I, today I will choose to praise the Lord because he alone deserves it. Just a question, have you made a decision about praise in your life? And listen to me, this word praise here, don't just think in, I'm talking about what we intend to do is we automatically think about worship as singing, right? So we think about it like that. And for some of us, we'd go, well, I'm not really expressing it. Worship's more about how I live because I don't want to sing. So we just think about, no, it's it's the lifestyle in which I live. And then others who who like to sing, if you was like, well, it's more important what we're doing here. Listen to me. Worship and praise is both what we do in here and what we do out there. I want to clarify that. And so when I'm asking this question, don't automatically go, well, that's not me. Because if you say, no, it's just a lifestyle. It doesn't matter about my expressive worship or how I praise, actually sing songs. Then you're not wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord. A part of us worshiping the Lord is that we vocalize. We sing songs of praise. We describe honor and give, ascribe honor to him vocally. That when the church gathers, we're a singing people. What did he say? I will give thanks to the Lord. I will sing praise to your name. Worship, worship singing. If you don't like singing, then I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's what we're called to do, but it's not just singing. It's also, what did he say? I will recount all of your wonderful things. As in, I want to tell people about the things you've done. So I want to kind of make that clear that when I'm talking about worship and praise, I'm not talking about just right here. I'm talking like the whole, the whole picture. Everybody with me? As in the life we live, but also the very act of what I do when I come into his, to his house on Sunday mornings. That I'm not here just to be fed. I'm here to ascribe honor to the one who deserves it. 
Have you prayed for your life to be a life of worship? And I'm not talking about style or preference, but a worshiper. He says, I will praise. I will praise the Lord. He said it wasn't just built on emotions. It was something that he disciplined and decided. Like, think about Paul and Silas and Acts. They get arrested. We haven't made it that far yet, but they get arrested and thrown into to prison. And about midnight, they began to sing. I don't think that was just like an emotional thing for them. Like, man, everything's so good. I'm going to start singing. It was something they decided to do to, to bless the Lord, to praise the Lord. I want to remind you this morning that as the church of Jesus Christ, we're a singing people. We're a singing people that from our tongues, we declare the glories of the Lord back to him. But also we're a people who are called for a life to be a life of worship and praise. And so the nature of praise is that praise is a decision. We decide to praise. We decide to worship. And I would encourage you, if you come to Cross Point, if you go to any church and you have zero desire to publicly praise with your church family, I would ask you to let God search your heart. If you think music has nothing to do with you, then I would say ask God to search your heart because we're called to be a singing people and a worshiping people. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying here's the deal is that this is who we are. We choose to praise. It's a decision. Have you made that decision to be a person, a people of praise? Not only that, but we see that our praise has a direction. He says, I will give thanks, what, to the Lord. When we praise and we're worshiping, remember this. When we gather together and we're living our life, we're not just living our life or singing to thin air. We're praising the Lord that he and he alone deserves our praise and our worship. And anything that keeps us from being able to do that is a distraction and should be Removed, if you will. But here's the big point is that said I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. Praise and worship is also it's a devotion. It's a commitment. It's not halfway. If he says it's my whole heart. Biblical worship is a matter of totality. When we see God, he isn't a God who likes to share his praise and worship with others other than the Godhead himself. He says, I worship, I give thanks to you with all my heart, not some but all. And I would submit that until you and I learn and develop and seek to worship God with all of our heart, with all of our being, We won't experience worship, even if it's in silence or unobserved. That what David is saying, and we read it through the book of Psalms, is that I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, because he alone is worthy of my worship and my praise, and that God was everything to him. And I would ask you, and ask myself, as I was prepping this week, do I serve the Lord with my whole heart? Or is it a half heart? Or is it just a serving matter routine where it's not hot nor cold? It's, it's just what we do. 
And I ask this because I think oftentimes we need to. Are we serving the Lord? Are we worshiping the Lord with our whole heart? Is it half-hearted? As we walk through Scripture, what we see is that God is concerned with the totality of the worship, his worship, our worship of his people. And Jeremiah, I'm not going to give any imagery to this, and so you who are older will be able to understand this text because we have some kids in here. But in Jeremiah 3.13, uh, the people of Israel had ultimately been serving and worshiping other gods. And when God, through Jeremiah, tells his people, he tells them a very plain way of what he, what he thinks when Jeremiah 3.13 says, only acknowledge your guilt that you rebelled against the Lord your God, and here's what you need to look up, and you scattered your favors among foreigners under every green tree that you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. What God is telling the people of Israel through Jeremiah is ultimately that they've been committing adultery by them seeking after other gods as they're, they're going in and being with every other God. It's the imagery in which when we think about it in our own life, we go, how could so-and-so do that? We wouldn't put up with it, if you will. Now, how do we expect God, the creator of all things, to be okay with us treating him as if it was all right? God is, like I said, is concerned with the totality. It's, and the more you read your Bible, the more you realize how bad it is to be a part of a half-hearted crowd. In Revelation 3, Church of Laodicea was neither hot nor cold. And God said, I'll just spit you out of my mouth. I know none of you are feeling encouraged yet, but you will in a moment. Sometimes my job as pastor is to speak necessary sermons, by the way. What we see is God is less concerned about cold, dead churches than he is churches that are full of half-hearted worshipers. What we see in this text is that the nature of our worship is wholehearted because he's a God who deserves our wholehearted praise and worship. But then he tells him why. Why he gives thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. He says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds, all of the things you have done. You are worthy of my praise. All of my heart, you are worthy of it. Child of God, think about the wonderful deeds you have experienced. And even if that only thing you've ever experienced is salvation, that Jesus Christ came and died for your sin and purchased to you an eternity in heaven, that in itself is, is for you to praise for all of eternity the wonderful deeds that the Father has done through his Son. I think about the wonderful deeds that you've experienced in your life because that he is worthy of, of all of our heart, of all of our attention, and all of our praise. He says, I will recount, I will speak about, I will tell of the things you've done. But he also says, I will be glad and exult in you. As in his person, the person of, of God, who he is. He, he, he says, I will, I will, because of who you are to me, I will exult in you, your person. Just him and having God, not what God could bring him, not what Jesus could promise him, but what God was for him as in just God being God. Having God's presence. If you were to jump down, let me see real quick. Uh, 
Look at verse 3 if you have your Bible. It says, one of my enemies turned back. They stumble and perish before what? Your presence. As in just in the presence of God, there is great power. And lastly, the ground of his praise, not only was his wonders, his person, but his name. So David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all of my heart for his deeds, for who he is, and for his namesake. So you and I, when it comes to walking through and navigating life, we have to remember who deserves our worship, who deserves our praise. And if we can get that part figured out, it doesn't make life not happen, but it gives us a perspective on life. I once said it like, I heard it said like this. When you think about church, we... There's a lot of things that end with ship, fellowship, stewardship, discipleship, right? You follow me? All the ships. And I I heard one, somebody said it like this, if you get your worship correct, all the other ships will fall in line. And that's the picture of our life. If we get our worship figured out, that he alone deserves the praise of my life, then these other ships in our life will follow along with it. Secondly, I'm going to start getting more encouraging for you. Okay, here we go. Secondly, not only do we see that there's praise that he deserves, but there's power that he displays. This God that we have, he, in verse 7, it says that the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established his throne for justice. He judges the world with uprightness and he judges the peoples with, with sorry, he judges the world with righteousness and he judges the peoples with uprightness. This God is a God who is powerful, that he reigns. And look at the end of verse six. It says that the very memory of those of them has perished. And when he talks about the enemies, that those the world comes and goes, men live and die, and, and they, they are forgotten about. But our God sits upon the throne forever. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He's, he's eternal. He sits above every rule and authority known to man. Scripture says that now the Son of God is sitting at the right hand of God, and, and God is making the earth his footstool, as in every enemy of Christ is being subdued, whether through repentance or damnation, but they're being subdued. That this God is a powerful God. So, Justin, what, how does that help me navigate through life? Not only do I remember that my life is to live for praise, but the one I'm praising sovereignly rules the whole universe. That's encouraging. This is the encouraging part of the sermon. He sovereignly rules the universe. We see it all through the text that he, he, he sovereignly rules. We see it uh, if we jumped over to verse 16. It says, the Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment as in but he, he executes judgment. And by that, he, he conveys his power. That when the Lord sits upon the throne and he's executing his sovereign rule, his power is being manifested. It is being seen. He reigns in power and authority. And we see at the end of Revelation in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, to John, when he's there at the island of Patmos, and he's seeing, he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. 
and let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. We remind ourselves daily that he is, there's a, he is, there is praise that he deserves, but there is power that he displays. And for all of eternity, he has set his throne. When it comes to the world that seems so powerful, if you will, we understand that the end result is that God will defeat all of his enemies. In Psalm 33, verses 6 and 7, it's not coming up on the screen, but thinking about how powerful God is. This is the NIV translation because I like one of the words it used. It says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, the story host by their great of, by the great of his mouth, he gathers the waters in the sea into jars, and he puts the deep into storehouses. And what an incredible picture of how powerful this God is. Y'all follow me? Like you ever try to walk around the yard with a five-gallon bucket full of water and try to pour it in a, a two-liter a two bottle? You see how incapable you are? This psalm teaches us that the God took the Indian Ocean, if you will, and he put it in a jar and said, we'll put it there. He takes the Atlantic Ocean, puts it in a jar, we'll put it there. This, you see the power of this God. It's nothing to him. So verse 8 tells us, let all the earth fear the Lord, and all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it came to be. What we see through this psalm is that there's, a, there's praise to be given. He deserves praise, but man, he is powerful and it is on display by creation. Through his word, we see his power. Even looking at our own life, he sits upon the throne. And guess what? He set himself upon the throne, which means nobody can get him off of it. Thirdly, and I'm wrapping up with this, not only is there praise that he deserves, and you're going to like all my P's and D's together, by the way, power on display, but thirdly, Luke's going to make fun of me, but there's a protection that he deploys. Look at verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the people. Oh, actually, I got ahead of myself. Go look at verse 20. Speaking of his power. Psalm 9. It says this, that he put them in fear, O Lord, let the nations know that they are but men. (laughs) This word men here is the word enosh in Hebrew. It literally means let the men know that they're nothing. Let those who rise up against God, let them know that they're nothing, that they're frail, that they're human, that they're breakable, that they're disposable, if you will. And that's a great imagery for us to picture those who are haughty, who have set themselves up against God. David says, let man know that they're nothing but man, that they're nothing at all. Because here's the good news. Now we go to there's protection that he deploys. Look at verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know you, your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He is a refuge for the oppressed. He's a God who deserves our praise. And listen to me. And for all of eternity, he will receive such. He's a God who powerfully rules the universe and all who oppose him and stand up to him will be made as nothing. But it's the same God who's the refuge for the oppressed. For the one who is storm beaten because of life. The one who... is walking around frazzled 
and stressed because of life's demands. And you go, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I've got enough in me to keep taking another step. The psalm teaches us here that he is the refuge for those who are oppressed. And many of us, all of us, if you want to admit or not, we're just oppressed by life and life's demands. And he says, I'm your refuge. I want you to catch the beauty of this. The same God who lets the nations know that they are nothing is the same Lord that wants you to know that you're precious in his sight and give you a refuge for you. Man, that's good, y'all. Is there trouble in your life, in your heart, in your home? Is there raging turmoil all around you? He is your refuge. I ask the Holy Spirit to minister this to our heart, these two verses. Psalm 32, 7. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. That this God that we wake up each day, we remember that there is praise that he deserves. That there's power at work all around me. But he is our protection through life and in life. And here's the good news. That God knows our lives are marked by tragedy. And he gives us the opportunity to come to him to be refuge. Look at verse 10, and I promise I am done with this one. Those who know you, sorry, those, those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. I believe the key in oppression, if you will, the key of, in life of this keeping our equilibrium, as if you will, for us to be able to see provision and the protecting hand I've got and the power of God is that we seek him and we trust him. God tells the people of Israel to Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me. Well, here it is. When you seek me with what? All your heart. I really believe a lot of times in my life, when I'm seeking after peace or whatever, I don't experience it because I'm seeking peace. I'm not seeking Christ. You follow me? I'm seeking the things that he can provide for me, not him. But he says, when you seek me, me with all of your heart, you will find me. And where in my presence, there are joys forevermore. You with me? Like, that's, that's where it is. So he says, seek after me. So what's the take home? Like I said, I love Psalms because the realism that David is marked by. If he's sad, he's sad. If he's happy, he's happy. Whatever he is feeling, he's feeling. I, I remember it was probably, I don't know, probably three years ago when we walked through Psalms of Refuge. And it was like when God began to kind of change, like give me a way to see Psalms like that I'd never seen before. And, and one of the greatest things for me is that there were thoughts that you and I had that we probably didn't know other people had them. Am I with me? Like definitely when it comes to the faith realm. 
There are probably things that you and I think about that we didn't know. We'd be surprised to know that other people thought about that or struggled with that. That's why Psalms is such a gift, because David, he struggled with them. He, he dealt with them. He asked those questions. And it's a beautiful, that's why I love it. It's realistic godliness. And it's a great need for the church for to have people. Listen to me. What the world needs is not people who have it all together, if you will. What the world needs is people who get punched in the face by life but still say, Jesus is worthy of my praise. The world doesn't need for us just to be able to explain the doctrines of grace or this, that, and the other, which those things are important. What the world needs is that no matter what life happens, no matter what happens, is that I'm still going to say, great is the Lord and worthy to be praised. Psalms can help us get there. So how can we do this? I believe applicable is this, that we bow in this praise that we read in Psalm chapter 9. That we bow in praise, that we will give thanks with our whole hearts. We will recount of his wondrous deeds. We will exalt in who he is. That we bow in this praise, that our allegiance is to him. Secondly, that we be asked to be filled with this power, the power of the, the very God that sustains all things, that he would fill us with power. And that we experience this protection that we see in Psalm 9. Listen, how much different would our life be in navigating things if we bowed each and every day and praise to the one who deserves it? That we see his power at work and he's working in us. And we know that we're walking in his protection. Life-changing. This morning, are you oppressed by life or life struggles happening, child of God? Maybe it's because our praise has been going to the wrong place. Whether that be hobby, whether that be even good things. Maybe it's even in the family. Agent Rogers once said, good things become bad things when they take the place of great things. Maybe we've got our alignment, our ships off course. And this morning, our response, child of God, is that we get our worship back in order. Who are we bowing down to? What are we submitting to? What is it that dictates what we do with our life? If the answer of that is not God, then our ship is messed up a little bit. So maybe our response is repentance. That I repent, confess of bowing down at other altars. Because here's here, this is the good news. That our God is a long-suffering God. If that is us, then today he's calling us to repentance because in his long-suffering. Maybe life has just been so whatever that you've missed out on seeing the power that of God at work around you. That's what Paul prayed for in Ephesians, that they would see, know the power of God. And maybe God will open our eyes to see the protection that we have in our life. It starts, I believe, 
with us bowing to worship the one who alone deserves our worship. That's where it has to start. And I think it's healthy at times for churches to go. We need to go back there. You with me? Okay. If you need to talk, if you're mad at me, I'm, I'm, it's okay. You pay me to do this. Uh, but I'll be standing in the back if you want to pray, if you need to come down here and pray. Whatever you need to do, however you need to respond, I pray that you do so. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for hard words sometimes. God, it was hard, hard for me to prepare this week. God, it was hard to write a sermon to preach to others that I myself have failed in. God, I do pray that we as your people would confess of, of what may be idolatry in our life. That we are looking to something else to dictate how we live life, not you and your will and your plan and your purpose. God, I pray that as we live life, God, that we would allow our praise to be a weapon even against our own problems. That no matter how, where we find ourselves, God, that we will be like David and we will say, I will give thanks to the Lord. This morning, maybe our response to this is that we do sing to you. God, that we will choose now to give thanks to the Lord. We will sing songs to your name. God, maybe it's to be quiet for us to allow your Holy Spirit to minister and search our hearts. Maybe there needs to be movement to find someone to pray with. Maybe it needs to be movement towards the front to bow down here as just as a sign of surrender. God, whatever it is, we pray that we respond in a way that you're leading us to do so. So in Christ's name we pray.